Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, everybody. This is Ben from the Webby's. Quick note before we start, the winners for the 21st Annual Webby Awards are announced today. That's right. We are finally here. Visit webbyawards.com and you can see if your favorites took home an award. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Webby Podcast, where we share the stories of the internet in more than five word speeches. Stay turned. Black Lives Matter. Apartments cheaper than Hamilton tickets. Thank you, uh, thank you, thank Kim, Chloe, Courtney, Kylie, Kendall. Here's your host, Webby's executive director, David Michelle Davies. Hey, welcome back to the Webby Podcast. Today on our show, I've always wanted to say this, it's a very special episode of the Webby Podcast. So today we have a different kind of show. Winners for the 21st Annual Webby Awards are announced today. Woo! Yay! Uh, and so in the spirit of doing roundups and recap shows, we are for the first time ever doing our own recap show. But we're going to do, it's going to be like a meta-meta recap show because we're going to do a recap of this year's Webby Award winners in the podcast categories. And uh, I have some very special guests here, the two people who really actually make the Webby Awards work. Uh, I have Claire Graves. Managing Director of the Webby Awards, podcast aficionado since forever. Claire, welcome to the podcast. This is your first sit in a chair, right? It is. Thanks for having me, David Michelle. She's not having the headphones on, everybody. Uh, I also have Steve Marchese, the executive producer of the Webby Awards. Uh, he likes his podcasts, doesn't listen to quite as many as Claire, uh, but he does have his favorites. Uh, he listens to a lot of music instead of podcasts, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a good description. Quality, not quantity. Yeah. That's the way that I look at it <laughs> when it comes to podcasts. Um, but has some opinions about podcasts, so that's good. I do. <laughs> and many other things. <laughs> so we have a lot of really good podcasts this year. Uh, this is the first year we've actually honored this many categories in podcasts. I think it was about 12 categories. Is that right? About that. Yeah. Uh, in the past, we had one podcast category. But over the past years, as you guys know, probably listening to podcasts as well, we've really seen this space take off. So we expanded new categories and... Uh, I think the quality of the work in year one is really incredible. Uh, let's let's get started. So the first one is, I think, something a lot of people have probably heard of. It's the People's Voice winner in Best Documentary Podcast. It just came out, it's like a month ago, two months ago? I think two months ago. Two months ago. Uh, Missing Richard Simmons. Uh, you know, the first time I heard about this, I remembered Richard Simmons, of course. I didn't know that I was missing him. Uh, but it turns out that Richard Simmons had kind of gone underground, and this filmmaker and former Daily Show producer named Dan Taberski has uses his podcast, and he tries to track down Richard Simmons and finds out find out what's going on with him. Should we, have you listened to this already? I have. I loved it. How about you? I have not, but I do miss Richard Simmons. All right. Well, let's listen to it. We'll talk about it. So let's just go knock on his door. Yeah. So we're just going to knock on his door. That's it. Are you like, nervous? I am nervous. 
I feel like somebody's house is their private place, and I don't want him to feel like I'm invading his privacy. On the other hand, I know Richard. I'm Richard's friend. I've taken his class a million times. I've been to his house. We're friends. And so this is just a friend. It's both. I'm creepy. I'm a creepy friend. I have lots of creepy friends. They're not that bad. <laughs> but where are we sitting right now and why? <laughs> We're sitting in front of Richard's house like two creepy friends. Richard's mansion in the Hollywood Hills. His manager maintains that's where Richard's been since he checked out. In his house, hanging out for two years, just sitting there. So we walk up to the new security fence to ring the buzzer. And then this. There's no buzzer. That's a kick in the head. Who doesn't have a buzzer? That's hardcore. Wow, that is sincerely hardcore. <laughs> Somebody literally doesn't have a way for you to knock on the door. Let's keep looking. I'm just surprised. How do you, what, like, what if it's like, mailman? What's our, what's our backup plan? There's no buzzer, there's no doorbell, there's no, like, knocker, there's no way. There's two fences between me and the house now, and there's literally no way of reaching the people inside besides screaming. And I'm not going to do that, because that's stupid. So, as far as detective work goes, um, knocking on Richard's door to see if he's home ain't gonna work. But then, there's some activity on the side of the house. Like, there's literally, there's... Somebody coming? Somebody's coming. No, no, I just saw somebody. Teresa! How are you? Fine. I'm good. Richard's housekeeper, Teresa, walks outside the kitchen door with the recycling. So let's stop for a minute. Before I get to what happened next, you got to understand that this is no ordinary housekeeper. Teresa Ravellis has been working for Richard Simmons for over 30 years. She lives there. She's pleasant, but gruff. And she takes her job and her relationship with Richard super seriously. She's incredibly loyal to Richard, and Richard to her. Um, one time, <laughs> Richard called me and he goes, how about dinner? I said, okay. This guy is Phil Trotter. He was friends with Richard back in the 90s and knew both him and Teresa really well. He said, I just bought Teresa a, uh, a Mercedes and she's gonna drive us to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> he bought his housekeeper a Mercedes? That's stunning. It didn't surprise me. I wasn't really shocked. I mean, it's an interesting story you know, to buy your housekeeper a, uh, a Mercedes. But it didn't surprise me. It's that kind of relationship. If Richard Simmons has a gatekeeper, it's Teresa Ravellis, who right now, as Henry and I are standing in front of Richard's house, is in fact literally the gatekeeper. Teresa, how are you? Fine. I'm good. I talked to her from behind the fence. She's a little hard to hear. I blame Henry. Is Richard here? She says he's not home. You know I'm doing this. Now she says he's home, but he doesn't want to talk to anybody. Not even five minutes? I'm doing that, I've sent him letters and recordings and emails and... She says that, I don't know. Then she went inside. Well, Claire, you've heard the whole thing. That's kind of sad. 
I mean, the whole, the whole thing is very complex. Richard Simmons is kind of a complex guy. It's not, I didn't, I actually didn't find it sad at all. It just felt like Richard doesn't want to be found. I feel, I feel like uh, the one thing about Richard Simmons is that the world has absolutely evolved to be like more ready than ever for Richard Simmons. You mm-hmm. know, like the, like the internet is like so ready for Richard Simmons. It's kind of like a bummer that he's, that he's hiding out. I always think of him as this really positive, happy, because that's the first clip that I've listened to mm-hmm. on that. And it has sort of a darker, kind of sort of like true crime-ish noir feel to it. So it's like, it kind of pulls me in a little bit, but I'm, I'm a little afraid to, to uncover that side of Richard Simmons a little bit. Because he's like, you know, it's Richard Simmons. Like you should definitely purple stretch pants. Listen to this podcast because I think the thing that came out for me most in this podcast is how much he meant to people mm. and how much he changed their lives. One little Webby fact here, which I think is kind of fun. Uh, last week when voting for the Webbies was going on and people were voting on these pat- podcasts, uh, Dan Taberski, who's a, who's a filmmaker and the producer of this podcast uh, that I t- mentioned at the top, he tweeted out, hey, everybody, there, Richard Simmons is going against Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. And he tweeted, hey, everybody, when does Malcolm Gladwell ever lose? Vote for me. It's our first chance to actually beat Malcolm Gladwell at something. Um, and it got, like, tons of retweets, and people were, like, really liking that and joking around with that. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, and by, by the way, it was a subtweet, too. Like, so he hadn't mentioned Malcolm Gladwell's Twitter handle. So Twitter, Twitter handle. Uh, but right out of the blue, like, a half an hour later, came in Malcolm Gladwell being like, not so fast. You know, vote for me. Um, so it was like a little bit of a, of a, of a wizards of podcast war, I guess, going on on Twitter for like an hour, which is fun. And then he did, he did beat Malcolm Gladwell. He, he did. That's, that's absolutely true. But the good news is that Michael, Malcolm Gladwell also won. He won in he another won the category. I know. Well, hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll see them at the show this year. It'll be like two, two podcasting wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, should we listen to the next clip? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so this next podcast is the Academy winner. It's the winner in Best Arts and Culture. It's called Still Processing. Uh, the hosts are Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris. Uh, they work for the New York Times as a New York Times podcast. Wesley's a Pulitzer Prize winner and the Times critic at large. And Jenna is a staff writer, often writing about technology for New York Times Magazine. Uh, we have a clip here from the first episode of their new season where they talk about the convergence of S-Town, the Pepsi commercial, and the film Get Out. God, those are a lot of things that really were popular this year, aren't they? All right, uh, let's hear the clip. So, Jenna, let's think about Get Out in the context of, of S-Town and, and this Pepsi commercial and these ongoing problems of whiteness that we both want to deal with and don't want to deal mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And obviously the villain in Get Out is a kind of, of liberal whiteness that values blackness on its own terms, right? So the whole idea of this experiment that this family is is enacting has everything to do with ultimately having black people exist as long as they are doing it on white people's terms. It's not that they're just interested in black people exist in their terms. They want to inhabit, they want to inhabit blackness. But I mean, I guess for me, that's a term. Okay, got it. (laughs) And the whole film is about how you can't just put on blackface and be black. That's why there's the misstep with the handshake. That's why there are all these weird, awkward moments in conversation before you realize what's going on. So it's all about the ways in which whiteness fetishizes blackness, which is as old as time. Without understanding what it what it even really is. Which is the exact same thing that Pepsi tried to do, which is fetishizing this this cultural moment. Mm-hmm. It could be any protest. 
It could be any protest. But the commercial bears a shocking similarity to the image taken from a Black Lives Matter protest in Baton Rouge, where a woman named Aisha Evans stood up to a row of police officers in riot gear very calmly before them, before she's taken away and arrested. Mm -hmm. The layouts are identical. Yes, yes. And that's why people are so pissed off. To crib something from such an emotional and heavy moment and make it sugary sweet, for lack of a better phrase. Oh, How does this keep recurring, right? Yeah. And the idea that you are allowed to think, I mean, or at least I'm allowed to think about the ways in which the legacy of slavery is haunting S-Town and has clearly haunted John B. McLemore. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, his white body carries many of the signifiers of black suffering at the hands of white people. Right. Which is also funny because getting a tattoo is in no way comparable to being whipped, right? Well, he but was to, whipped and he had them tattoo over the... But anyway, that's... I think that there, there we're, we're at this crazy moment where we're both desperately trying to reckon with whiteness and still extremely terrified to reconcile with it. And I shouldn't even say we, because <laughs> white <laughs> We're people, having no right, problem doing white it right people, now. There is, a, there is a thing that is both happening and not happening in terms of whiteness and reckoning that I don't really know what to do with because it's, yeah. it's in constant contradiction with itself. Right. Right? Like, do the Jenners have any sense of themselves as white women? I mean, clearly they do, but obviously they don't. I mean, that commercial is about the privilege of her whiteness, right? Like, it is explicitly about that. She can take off one blonde wig. Yeah. It doesn't make her less white. It just makes her a different white person. Yeah, yeah. She's able to play with that. It's right. She, wants. she gets and, to have that multiplicity. And then it's, it's interesting because it's kind of like, so who ultimately suffers? Is right. it Pepsi? No. Their share prices are up. Their share prices didn't even go down. So SNL had this so, had this sketch over the weekend. Did you see it? The Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you, Scott. I think is what it was called, <laughs> and it was about like a like a like a armchair protester, basically mm-hmm. this middle aged white guy that Louis C.K. plays, who is basically just like tweeting and retweeting. Oh, I didn't see this. Okay, we'll no. just play a clip from this from this SNL sketch called Thank You, Scott. <laughs> But then Scott realized that black people's lives matter as much as the lives of the whites. Some people protested and got arrested. He'd have to do more to end that oppression. He knew he had to stand up. He knew he had to march. Over to his laptop and write Black Lives Matter in his Twitter bio. Thank you, Scott. You ended racism, Scott. Now we're all equal, Scott. And compared to you, MLK didn't do at all. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> I think I saw that band at Warped Tour once. I'm so happy that one in that category. Those those two are so smart. I think it's such a great winner for the first year of having a Best Arts and Culture podcast. What do you guys think? I, I think it's probably one of the most astutely named podcasts because, um, as you know, I'm a little bit of a pop culture junkie. And like for them to very thoroughly connect three really big things with like a really, a really credible like line of reasoning. Like, you know, like those are three very, I, I don't know if you listened to that episode, Claire, but like 
they talk about Get Out in particular as like the safety pin because I'm a horror guy and it's funny to me when I see like other people that would never go close to a horror film talk, be like, have you seen Get Out? You know, and so they have this whole section where they talk about it. it's really funny. But that episode's a really good episode. I'm still processing. <laughs> I just feel like their take on the Pepsi commercial is so much better than mine was. Yeah. Mine was just like, why did they show it to their mom or something? You know, they have such a much smarter take on it. Yeah, so. I, just, I jumped on the tone deaf wagon yeah. pretty early. Yeah. I just was thinking about like the you know, the the creatives behind it right away. Just like that what that creative meeting was like would have been interesting to be at. Okay, uh, we'll go on to the next one. Our Academy winner for best writing is something called How to Be a Girl. Uh, this is from Marlo Mack. It's really an incredible show that Marlo produces with her eight-year-old transgender daughter about life together in Seattle and the challenges they faced. Uh, let's. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's listen to a clip of the first episode. Six years ago, I gave birth to my first and only child. A boy. Hello. I am 38. I'm 29, and I really love you. When he was two years old, my son began insisting on wearing only pink clothes, preferably ones with lots of sparkles and ruffles on them. She just is so pretty. She really loves me. When he turned three, he begged me to buy him some dresses and let him grow his hair long. That made the grandparents a little nervous, but we went with it. That one's a fairy and that one's a princess. Why is she a fairy and she's a princess? Because fairies are magic and princesses don't. That's the difference. And also, they can't fly and they, they can't. Fairies fly and princesses walk. And then one day, in a conversation that I kind of knew was coming, but it still knocked the wind out of me, my child told me that he was actually a girl, not a boy. He looked me in the eyes and told me something had gone wrong in my tummy that made him come out as a boy instead of a girl. He wanted me to put him back. He begged me to put him back, to fix this mistake. He was three years old. I spent the following year resisting, trying to present alternatives. 
I told my child over and over again that he could continue to be a boy and play with all the Barbies he wanted and wear whatever he liked, dresses, skirts, all the sparkles money could buy. But my child said no, absolutely not. She was a girl. What are your favorite things to play with? My princess things. Your princess things? Why do you like princesses so much? I just kind of do. Do you think it's okay for boys to like princesses? Uh, but I'm a girl. After 12 long months of making both myself and my child miserable, I finally let my little boy go. Goodbye. You know, I, I know Steve's a parent like I am. I could, I think this, the one thing that really strikes me is uh, how brave Marlo Mack is because those are some really challenging things to have to deal with. I can't imagine how hard that must be um, just because you want your, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of issues to tackle and she really super brave to be so honest and it's really powerful. Claire, have you listened to that before? I came across it when it was a nominee. Uh, one of the things that I really love about this podcast is that and that it has done so well and it's uh, completely independently produced and she's a, a mother living in Seattle and I love that that kind of work is on it at the Webbies as well. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really impressive to, do, to not just, by the way, have that whole experience and figure out a way to tell a story but then also produce a podcast about it is... It's like a serious undertaking. I mean, mm -hmm. she's like a, a bit of a superhero there, I'd say. Yeah, it's incredible. Next up, um, all right, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. Uh, this next podcast is actually from someone who's on some level like one of the, you know, pod fathers, godfathers of pod. I mean, this is somebody who really for years has popularized podcasts and has some of the most popular. Uh, the Academy of Digital Arts and Sciences and People's Voice winner. So that's the winner chosen by the judges and the winner chosen by the public for best sports podcast is the Bill Simmons podcast from The Ringer, which is Bill Simmons' newish site. I think it's been around for about a year or so. Uh, Bill used to be at ESPN when he ran in Grantland. Uh, he's now at HBO. Uh, he's got a show on HBO. And last year, he founded The Ringer, as I mentioned. He's a great interviewer. Uh, people really like going on a show, I think, and he gets great guests. Uh, people really trust him as well in, in conversations. Um, so let's play a couple of clips from his recent conversation with former Microsoft CEO Steve Ballmer on what it's like to own an NBA franchise, the LA Clippers. You you dabbled with the idea of doing like a WWE Network type of thing with Clipper games. Still, and it seems like you're still investigating it. Yeah. No, what we're What's looking at. What's the biggest at? obstacle? Well, I mean, look, you can just stream games. Who who cares? Yeah. I mean, you can go get Fox Go today and get our game streamed. That's right. not really the issue. But disappearing from cable and forcing people to be like you can you can only see our games downloading this app or the or paying for the subscription is a different right right but then you're just substituting one business model for another the key to me is getting some innovation going yeah so just streaming our games which you can do on fox go and the business models well established probably is not value add when you can let people um, instead of just watching the game when you can let them do the kind of stuff i said earlier I'm going to watch the game today just for, I'm going to watch the first half and see it like Chris Paul. I'm going to watch the second half and see it like Blake Griffin. Or I'm going to watch this game where I can choose my camera angle. Mm. I can have any seat in the building. I can get instantaneous. Can sit next to you. 
can sit next to me. You can get instantaneous Carolina feedback. Carolina grunting and screaming. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> I've seen you during the games. You know, How much soda do you have before a game? Like 80 ounces? I don't drink. I don't take any caffeine. No, ca- it's natural caffeine. Zero. Amazing. Zero. I got off caffeine two years ago, so all I have, probably like idea. this Perrier here, yeah. is some water with fizzies in it to get me to get me stoked. Look, I, that's the thing. I yeah. probably on the business side, it's kind of the you could say that's the intersection of business and basketball. That's the stuff I've probably put more attention. Ah, what should we do in our timeouts? I don't like the way the music comes into the timeout. It's got a crescendo right into the at the end of the timeout, so everybody's pumping and thumping right yeah. when the game starts. Chuck, why do we bring along Chuck? Because I think there's a difference sometimes between having uh, a voice yell, "Get on your feet!" Yeah, that's not bad. But I saw the coyote in San Antonio, and he just holds up a sign. Ooh, the place erupts. I said, God, we got to have the equivalent of the coyote. Actually, I met a guy just retired. Just hire the coyote. Well, the guy who was the the coyote just retired. And this guy comes up to me at my seat like two games ago, three games ago. I said, I I, I want to introduce myself. I'm the former coyote. Oh, wow. And I've been been praising this guy, praising him on Kona, (laughs) praising him everywhere. And he said, yeah. You guys have asked me to coach up Chuck. So I'm, I'm here to provide coaching to Chuck. Boom! But everything, you know, how many T-shirts do you fire at timeouts? We fire a lot more T-shirts than anybody else, I it's think, in the NBA. It's an incredible volume of fired T-shirts, you I know, agree. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, uh, I have a partner. It's a good thing. It's the best. I mean, I think I got, my takeaway from that is that uh, Steve Ballmer should have. Does he have a podcast? Because he definitely should have. That was, he's, he's, uh, oh, Steve Ballmer's I want to listen to him. Hilarious. He, you know, it's funny because you realize how good Bill Simmons is back in podcast mode. Like, I liked his show, but he was confined by TV. Like, yeah. he really thrives in, like, an hour conversation with guys like Steve Ballmer. And this is a good one, too. Steve Ballmer brought it when he would do his uh, keynotes for Microsoft. He'd be oh, sweaty yeah. and screaming on stage. So he's, you know, at least Steve Ballmer's consistent. But it's, it's a really interesting conversation. I can't believe he doesn't drink coffee. It makes me want to stop drinking coffee. I might get some more energy. Uh, it's a great conversation, by the way. And one of the things I liked about it was that whole conversation about tech and like in sports yeah. has been around for a long time. I remember like the XFL, they were talking about putting like cameras in people's mm-hmm. helmets and stuff. But if anybody's going to like figure that out, it's going to be like the guy who ran Microsoft and now owns the Clippers, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was talking in that episode about VR and a whole bunch of other things, ways to sort of bring the game. They talk about streaming quite a bit internationally. It's a It's a really good conversation. We have a lot of, uh, just to jump off podcast for a second, we actually have a lot of nominees and winners this year, which are sort of pushing the bounds of how we watch things, right? Like VR stuff mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. VR games and so forth. Pokemon Go, augmented reality games. A lot of augmented reality. All right. Our next one is a People's Voice winner. Uh, this is selected by the internet fans. By the way, we you guys know this. We broke major voting records this year, right? Three and a half million votes. And not to, we love 538, uh, but you know when they talk about polls, they always talk about them as clicker polls for all mm-hmm. our 538 fans out there. Was this a clicker poll? Not a clicker poll. No, so people had to register. People and- had to register. They had to verify their votes. We had 850,000. 850,000 users. Registered, registered users. users. Luckily, in just two weeks. We're not going sh- to we're not going to pre- uh, preview the five thirty eight podcast, but I am excited to see Jody and tell him that they did win, and it wasn't a clicker poll. <laughs> uh, so back to people's voice. This is the winner in the best individual episode. Uh, it is for revisionist hint- history. We we're talking about Michael Malcolm Gladwell. Mm-hmm. This is his foray into podcasting. 
well-known author. Uh, this winning episode is part three of a mini-series on education. It's really an incredible story. Um, I'll just read the description because it's a bit complicated. In the early 90s, Hank Rowan gave $100 million to a university in New Jersey, which was an act of extraordinary generosity that helped launch the greatest explosion in educational philanthropy since the days of Andrew Carnegie and the Rockefellers. But Rowan gave his money to Glassboro State University, a tiny, almost bankrupt school in South Jersey. While almost all of the philanthropists who followed his lead made their donations to elite schools, such as Harvard and Yale. So why did no one follow Rowan's example? And that's the, that's the question that Mr. Gladwell really confronts here. Uh, let's listen to the clip. Timinia wanted Rowan to give money to the business school, which was pretty dilapidated. So he pushed that for a while, and finally said, Phil, I have zero interest in your school of business. Uh, what this world needs is more engineering, how to make things. We have to produce. And Phil, what would you do with $100 million? And he nearly fell off the chair. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's how we got to that level, and that was the beginning. So you're the one that suggested the $100 million figure, not... Oh, not yeah, for... he was talking about 10. I see. This is 1992, a generation ago. Almost nobody gave donations of $100 million back then. This was unheard of money. Rowan's gift made headlines around the country. He set a new standard. Did you think it changed the world? Damn right it did. <laughs> At Rowan's memorial service, Phil Tuminia gets up and says, I think accurately that Rowan is the person who triggered what has become one of the greatest explosions in educational philanthropy since the days of Andrew Carnegie and the Rockefellers. From July of 1992 until the end of that decade, 20 gifts, 20 gifts of $100 million or more were given out in this country. According to the Chronicle of Philanthropy, as of right now, spring of 2016, we're up to 87 gifts of $100 million or more to higher education. So everyone followed Rowan's lead, except not really. Rowan gave his money to Glassboro State College, a public university in a sleepy little town in South Jersey that no one had ever heard of. The college was close to broke. At the time, they had an endowment of $787,000. But the people who followed Hank Rowan, who were inspired by the size of his donation, almost all of them gave money to wealthy, prestigious schools. Let me just read to you the names of some of the educational institutions that have received the largest donations in American history. Ready? In 2013, the billionaire co-founder of Nike, Phil Knight, pledged half a billion to the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. Okay not the most prestigious institution in America. But wait. Then come three $400 million donations. The first is the billionaire John Kluge's gift to Columbia University in 2007. The second is the hedge fund manager John Paulson's gift to Harvard University in 2015. The third is Phil Knight's gift to Stanford University in 2016. And after that, in order, here are the universities that get the biggest donations. Johns Hopkins, Harvard again, University of Chicago, Princeton, Tufts, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Yale, Penn, Claremont McKenna, Columbia again, Baylor, USC, Columbia a third time, Michigan, University of California, Wisconsin. I could go on if you want, through all 87, but basically we're talking about the same wealthy elite schools getting the biggest donations again 
and again. Hank Rowan did something unprecedented, and nobody followed him. Again, the People's Voice best individual episode is My Little Hundred Million from Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, great, a great episode. I really recommend listening to the rest of it. The whole podcast, the whole series is really excellent. I mean, not super surprising as Malcolm Gladwell's uh, storytelling is generally ex- very excellent. Uh, but fun to see him sort of in this new medium of audio really uh, championing all these interesting stories. So that's great. Malcolm Gladwell's pretty good for not putting 10,000 hours into the old podcasting thing. It was great. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I want to listen to the rest yeah. of it. Revisionist History is definitely the best podcast for dinner party conversations. Interesting. Mm. Oh. Get you going. I don't go to dinner parties anymore. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was, yeah. All right. I, that was scintillating. <laughs> scintillating. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's that's a wrap for our first ever 21st annual pod recap of Podcast Winners Podcast. I feel like <laughs> we probably should have recap the recap we do have a recap category go listen to all these podcasts if you go to webbywards.com and click on winners you can click on the podcast subgroup of categories they're all there uh, links directly to the podcasts and you should listen to them it's just it's a great way of discovering lots of new podcasts i bet you there's a bunch that you've heard of and know are good but just haven't had a chance to listen to yet so uh, do that. We will be back next week uh, with a very, I guess at that point, it won't be a special episode. It'll just be a regular episode of the Webby Podcast. I'm excited about that. I want to thank my colleagues and partners here at the Webby Awards, Managing Director Claire Graves. Thanks. This has been fun. Executive Producer Steve Marchese. Thank you for having me. It's been great to have you guys. Uh, I look forward to having you back on the show sometime soon. Um, we'll see you next week. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe and leave us a review. It turns out that iTunes loves reviews. We'd really appreciate it. Our producer is Ben Wagner. Editorial help this week from Nicole Ferraro. Show music is Straight West by Casket Club. We'll see you next week. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.